0: Red FM
1: You're very welcome along to the Big Red Bench This Sunday evening Coming up, King Callum Walsh tells us about his aim To have a homecoming fight in Cork next year He fights next Saturday And he tells us all about that And his plans for the coming year John McCarthy wasn't in a scheme for Carberry Rangers versus Clonny Kiltie, And joins us to look at how the football championship is shaping up Tom Savage of the three Red Kings Discusses Ireland v England at the Aviva last night Spain are the World Cup champions They beat England in the Women's World Cup final earlier today It's West Ham v Chelsea It's 2-1 to the Hammers Villa winning well earlier on as well And we'll hear about the Cork interest In the upcoming SKIF World Karate Championships All of that between here and seven Aye, 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 aye. Aye, 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 aye. it's Aiden Lee here with you until seven o'clock on the big red bench here on Cork's Red FM 0868 104 106 if you want to get in touch with us and as I was saying there it is West Ham United in the lead at the London Stadium against Chelsea. Here is Ryan Bromelow. It's West Ham 2, Chelsea 1. Well, they're known for the power that they possess in Mikel Antonio and he's thundered down the centre to thrash the Hammers into a 2-1 lead. War Browse, the quickest to loose the Zassi ball on the halfway line, snaffles it onto the Antonio's chest. He takes a touch and drives low into the far corner from the edge of the area. Another dazzling moment for Ward-Prowse in the West Ham shirt. It's West Ham 2, Chelsea 1. Yeah, really was a great finish by uh, Michel Antonio. Um, just wound up the foot and let fly at it. Great finish to the bottom corner. Earlier on, Aston Villa absolutely annihilated Everton and finished 4-0. Here's Tom Ross. Aston Villa 4, Everton 0. Goals from McGinn, Louise Bailey and Duran. Made it a comfortable afternoon for Villa, but it was more than that. It could so easily have been six, seven or eight the chances Villa had. Everton went through the motions, but they have serious problems based on what we've seen here at Villa Park today. They were second best in every single department. It finished Aston Villa four, Everton 0. Yeah, and West Ham just had another chance. Flash past the post there. Pablo Fernales from outside the box. 65 minutes gone there. Spain won the Women's World Cup earlier on today for the first time in their history. They defeated England 1-0 in the final in Sydney. Captain Olga Carmona scored the winner in the first half. Um, It was a good game, though, to be fair. It was 1-0, but it was tense. There was a good bit of drama. To be fair, though, Spain well deserved it, you know, Obviously, half working, half watching the game, but every time I, fl- I looked over to the screen, Spain were on top. They were on the attack, and England just had no answer. Celtic have been knocked out of the Scottish League Cup. They lost 1 0 to Kilmarnock. Here at home, in the FA Cup second round, Derry City and St Patrick's Athletic are scoreless at half time at the Ryan McBride Brandywell. Wexford were 1 0 winners away to St Patrick's CYFC. In golf, where McElroy's in a tie for 5th and 8th under par, going into the final round of the BMW Championship in Illinois. Scotty Scheffler and Matt Fitzpatrick are sharing the lead on 11-under. At the Honda World Invitational at Golgorm Castle in Antrim, American Alexa Pano won in a playoff. Daniel Brown took the men's competition by five shots. And, of course, plenty going on in the um, at Bud- in Budapest at the World Athletics Championships. Kira McGeehan has qualified for the final of the women's 1500 metres. She finished third in her semi-final in a time of 4 minutes, 2.7 seconds. And we'll be back for the final on Tuesday, Sarah Healy set a personal best in the other semi final time of three minutes fifty nine point six eight but it wasn't enough for her to go through just like uh just like um just like o'Sullivan yesterday, you know the better time, but at the end of the day, I think people forget about uh, it was actually being discussed on on the coverage as well. It's all about times, isn't it? But you forget, you're you're running a race. You have to beat your competitor to get through to the to the next heat or to the semi final or a final. You know, it's uh, it's not all about the time that flashes up on the screen when you cross the line. It's uh, about how many. How many other competitors you finished ahead of at the end of the day? Um, but uh look at it. It's still Ireland putting in a very good showing at the World Athletics Championships. Andrew Cosgran, unfortunately, his challenge has ended in the semifinals of the men's fifteen hundred meters. He wasn't inside the top six. Rashid Adelecki, though, won her four hundred metre heat and runs in the semifinals tomorrow night. Big hopes for her, of course, a possible medal candidate it's amazing that you know Ireland have a possible medal candidate in the 400 metres at the world championship level Charlie Mosley also in the uh, semi-finals of the 400 metres alright let's uh, jump right into the Gaelic games action across the county and in the Bonskirs Premier Senior Football Championship. Bell and Colleg beat Carrigaline in the first of a double header at Parky Rin. 212 to 12 points it finished. The second game saw it end. Aero 1 6, Nemo Rangers 11 points. Carrie Rangers and Klonikilty drew 6 points all in, in a scheme earlier. We're going to hear reaction to that in just a second in the scene. Ray O'Donovan Rossa um, and Cantor played out a, a thriller in McCroom. It was O'Donovan Rossa 214, Cantor. Turk 3 14. and one 111. Newmarket, Newmarket 14 points. It finished in Kish Game. A draw there and Daughney's it was Daughneys 215. Bishopstown 110. In Bandon. In the Premier Intermediate Football Championship it finished Rockchapel 2 6. Castletown Bear 111. Uh, Neva Vaughan 10 points. Bantry Blues 110. And another draw between Kilshanig and Kilnomartra. Kilshanagh 10 points. one one seven. Alright, as we heard, it was six points apiece between Clanicilte and Carby Rangers. Here is Owen Ryan of Clanicilte speaking with our own John McCarthy.
2: Um, OK on Ryan a draw not a very good game uh, for the purists and not, not easy on the eye but we're in the results business when it comes to Premier Senior Football you have three points from your two games you're heading into your final
3: game against Castellane with it all to play for your assessment first of all of, of clan's performance Yeah I suppose I, I suppose overall we're disappointed with our performance I think we were very flat on the day I uh, thought at half time everything was going according to plan after playing against the wind like, we controlled the game quite well but I thought our, our energy levels in the second half half were very low for some reason and um, you know we really didn't get at it at all you know I don't know I don't know why but it was uh, I suppose look we're still in the championship and uh, the reality is we have, to, we have to play the haven in the last game and we have to get something there now Um so, look, it's in our own hands, and I suppose you couldn't ask anymore, going into the last game, like, yeah. you
2: know. Do you think just the fact that it was a derby, maybe that affected some players, because both sides were, were doing the same. They were dropping very deep and making it hard to get scores. I mean, 12 scores in a game just says it all.
3: Yeah, well, uh, I suppose, you know, Ross kind of set up that way, and they're hard to play against, and that's the way the game is then, like... Um, I mean, we finish up with extra extra players back. It's not because we let them there. They're not playing in their positions. It's because the other guys vacate their positions. Like, <laughs> So that's just the way it is. I think our transition was too slow today altogether compared to inside against Valley Rovers. I thought we were hopping off the ground inside there. Far from it today. Yeah.
2: Um, and again, as you said, there's still a lot to play for. You're still very much in this championship and heading into it. Like, I mean, that's what you'd be asking for going into a final game, group game.
3: Look, it is of course, and it's against the Haven. That's going to be another big game, and it's on here again, like. And uh, look, we'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to come back the next day with an improved outfit.
1: You know, hopefully, you know, ready to rock. Thanks very much, John. Thanks, Jerry. Owen Ryan there of Clonacilty speaking with Jar McCarthy. There's been a red card at the London Stadium. There's 70 minutes gone. It's West Ham 2, Chelsea 1. And uh, the uh, man who scored the opening goal, Nayef Aguirre, has seen red on 68 minutes a second bookable offence and he has gone West Hammer down to 10 men Seamus Hayes Carby Rangers manager speaks to Jeremy McCarthy after that 6 points apiece draw earlier in a scheme.
2: OK Seamus 6 points apiece West Cork Derby honours even you're on 3 points heading into your final group game but you've played in enough West Cork Derbys really exciting games end to end that wasn't the pattern of today's game um,
4: why do you think there were so few scores? Um, I think in the first half we weren't happy with the way our lads set off clan um, they have too many good players around the midfield and half back line there that can dictate the play if you sit off them. Um, that wasn't our instruction. You know, we were hoping to push on a little bit more. Um, I think our lads were a little bit flat for some reason. Um, maybe that is the nature of a derby. It can, you know, it's a big build-up and it's a huge game. And everyone you talk to during the week and on the day wants to talk to you about the game. So there is an emotional, you know, um, I suppose drainage in it as well. And we played very flat in the first half. Um, you know, we sat off Clan, allowed him to dictate the play, which, in fairness, when you're playing into a strong wind like that, Clan played it to perfection. You know, they killed the time, minded the ball, got up for a few good scores. Dara Goff got uh, free and excellent score from playing you know, they kept themselves in it. But we also turned over the ball, I think, nine times in the Clan 45. You know, that was a combination of not having enough support play and uh, some really, really, um, I think, you know, what I would call uh, careless passing. But um, we addressed it at half time. Um, I think we had back our backs to the wall. Everyone would agree at that stage because the wind was blowing down into the dressing room goal and in the skin. Uh, we tweaked our formation and we decided that we were going to, you know, have to take the game more to them. Um, I think it resulted in us definitely becoming more uh, solid. We got more tackles in and turnovers and you know missed some big opportunities in that second half that potentially could have won the game. But then again, Clan had some chances at the end there. You know that they could have won it. So I'll be honest with you, win. The ball was over and back there for a finish. I was roaring at John Rain to blow it up. I was like blow it up, hand in. When Mark White lined it up, you know, what more I mean, often than not, that goes over ask the you about That
2: block. I know there was a lot of other defenders played very well today, but John Hayes, you would look. it's it's all been said about him in the past but for him to execute that block right at the end it just says it all about him really doesn't
4: it Ah sure look the man is 38 going on 39 years of age like you know um, what he's done for the club is unprecedented I would imagine and to show that kind of commitment to get back and make that block you know I think it speaks everything about him I know as my brother I'm a little bit biased but we actually you know uh, I mean he had struggled with calf injuries all year he kind of you know barely got on for Cassellabon had very little done but you know he minds himself he keeps himself in good condition with the other, you know, good, great character.
2: Just finally, as Valley Rovers in your final game now, you know, heading into the final game, you're going to be favoured simply because Valley Rovers' results have gone against them. But the performance they put in against Castle Haven will give you food for thought. But the fact that you're unbeaten, Seamus, and there's a bit of momentum now you're coming you know, two games unbeaten Going into your final game. You'd have taken that before I would imagine, before it all started.
4: Yeah, definitely, you know. I mean we're undefeated, I suppose that's one huge positive. Um this was labelled the group of death before it started, and I envisaged that it, the two games, like I mean, there's so much at stake that it will be for the last day as well in three weeks' time. I watched Valley Rovers against Castlehaven last night, and I was very impressed by them. Um, I thought they really learned from the game against Clan. Um, they were really combative, and I think, you know, if you took the Castlehaven game out of it, there wasn't much in that game. So, like, we'll be preparing the same as we did for uh, Castlehaven the first day out, and Clan of Kilty, and you know, we would expect, and I would envisage that the game against Valleys would be another one where there'll be a kick of a ball. And, excellent stuff thank you very much thank you Joe.
1: alright Joe McCarthy is on the line he was in Eneskeen today for what was probably a, a bit of a disappointment uh, it ended six points apiece uh, between Carby Rangers and Clonagh uh, Kilty Um not the best spectacle but um, how, how does that result uh, leave, leave things in the standings in the Perma Senior Football Championship
0: um, well the first thing to say Aidan I suppose is the most disappointing aspect of a and, and Carby Rangers six points apiece draw is the fact that you know there was no spark to the game both teams set up defensively both teams you know, there was a strong wind, in fairness which did affect things but both teams I think were looking, looking at it and they were both too deep not really like every like there was 12 scorers in the Premier Senior Football Championship game and that's just not good enough now granted both teams are very similar they've got some fantastic talent but probably the biggest disappointment is that both teams are packed with such attacking talent that you only produce you know 12 points from it I mean, you know, it's it's really disappointing fair for what was a, a pretty large attendance. Now, in fairness, and I've been to plenty of these derbies down through the years, where there's always a bit of spark, there's a bit of fighters, and not necessarily end to end. But today it was just all about not losing, and you know, packed defenses, slow, ponderous build up, and it just wasn't easy on the eye. I suppose for both teams, the good news is if there is good news coming out of us, they're both still very, very much in this championship because in the same group, Castlehaven has expected defeated Valley Rovers last night and what that means is both Canna and Castlehaven are on three points apiece heading into the final round of Group A games where they face one another here in Innskene on September 10th. As for Carby Rangers, um, they have made it two draws on on the trot Uh, they drew the first out with Castlehaven and they're drawn here they play a Valley Rovers team however who've lost both of their games so they'd be expected to win that one Um, they need to improve the performance but I think you would expect them to win that so look I suppose from Clan and Carby Regis point of view despite the disappointing scoreline disappointing fair and not easy on the eyes. as I said. They're both very, very much in the championship. And as Owen Ryan, a uh, selector with Clannac, he to me afterwards, look, it's in their own hands. And uh, I suppose if you'd asked them before the championship started if that was to be the case in their final group game, they'd have accepted that. The disappointment is that we just didn't get the game. I think a lot of supporters were hoping for it today with so many good players in both teams. But look, it's the way of the modern game. It's overly defensive. It's hard to break down. And when the conditions are there as windy as they were, I suppose you could make excuses, but still very, very disappointing. But both Clan and Carby Rage are still very, very much in the Premier Senior Football Championship.
1: Yeah, I suppose the, the positive is that it sets up a fantastic clash between Castlehaven and Clan Akilte, like you said. And very much the winner there is on the chopping block, or the loser, should I say, is on the chopping block. Mm.
0: Yeah I mean this is I suppose the way the, the championship structures have been restructured and in fairness to the county board it's fit for days like these I mean you know a draw will, will do Klan or Castlehaven no good going into it and they need to win so I suppose there is a must win element heading into it and I suppose the big news from from Castlehaven's point of view I mean they, they were made to work hard by Valley Rovers only winning one twelve to 9 points in Klan last night but the return of Brian Hurley albeit <clears throat> in a kind of a cameo in the second half that's a welcome development for them because somebody of his talent uh, makes a huge difference to them but yes there very much is a knockout feel to it and on the other side of the coin Valley, or Carby uh, Rangers as Seamus Hayes pointed out Valley Rovers are fighting for their lives because they've lost both their games they need to get something out of their final group game against Carby Rangers if they are to avoid a potential relegation game so there's so much to play for the problem is, in while that's exciting for everybody involved. The fact that most of the matches I've covered so far this season have been overly defensive is a worry long term because you know it's been talked about at inter county level how more and more inter county games are becoming boring and not nice to watch and not really entertaining. If the club football follows that uh, pattern, uh, you know, crowds would eventually vote with their feet. Now, look, managers are hired to win matches, not entertain. I understand that completely, and everybody wants to win at all costs. But there's a bigger picture here over the last couple of weeks and I've noticed it in some of the Senior A Football Championship matches. I've covered as well. The the idea from both teams is don't lose when you go out um, rather than go and try to win it. And that's I suppose that's a disappointing aspect when you consider the amount of talent in this group alone. Between Valley Rovers, Carbery Rangers, Castlehaven, and Clanacaldean is a group of dead. It was always going to be tight, but I never envisaged a six points, six points draw. I, I, I level with you on that one. Yeah. Um, come, coming into it, so look, there's a bigger picture here. There's more questions for another day. But from the organisation, from the competition's point of view, you've got two really, really tight games to look forward to. I, I, I would agree with that. And the Clan Castlehaven one should be a cracker. They're always high scoring affairs. They're always tight, and Carbery Rangers will need to be at their best because, as I said, Valley Rovers are fighting for their lives. So yeah. In fairness, whatever about the disappointment of today, we do have a final round uh, of games in Group A and across the other groups as well, to be fair, yeah. to look forward
1: to. Yeah, let's jump to Group C. Obviously, I suppose St. Finbar's two wins out of two. They're assured their spot in, in the next round, at least, and obviously can uh, maybe get themselves uh, a nice spot in the semi final if they, if they win their remaining game. Um, Mallow and Douglas then fighting it out for the last spot. And I suppose St. Michael's still there and thereabouts. Uh, you know, their own look. I suppose. Say, Michael's up from A. Um, they finally got the victory last year. What an occasion that was! Um, the game against Douglas, I suppose, is probably where they'll uh, really regret not getting something—a yeah. a, one-point loss for them. And it was always going to be tough then, up against the the, the runners up from last year from last year, Saint Finbars, in that refix game uh, yesterday evening. Yeah,
0: and look, I suppose the only caveat for them is that like they've got no points from two games, but they play Mallow in their final game, and even if they win that, as they said, they'd want to have to do it by a nine-point margin, they're, they're nine points behind Mallow in terms of scoring difference but even if they did that it would still be worth winning because if line failed to win and Ballier-Overs failed to win then Michaels will avoid a relegation playoff so again there's something to, for them to play for yeah. I, I, I've been like you've correctly pointed out and it's a good point look you know against Douglas they had a chance and they didn't take it against the Bars you know, what, this is a Baris team on a mission and, and clearly uh, determined to right the wrongs of last year's county final against the Rangers. And like losing two tens, not nine to them, is no disgrace. And they certainly put up a good fight for most of that game, from what I've read and from what I've heard. So they are certainly a team that are capable of establishing themselves at the top tier. But the problem is, you've got to stay in the top tier to do that. But the good news is, I suppose if you're up with Michael's, you know, a game against Malo, albeit Malo are a team we haven't really spoken about, and they've done extremely well as well. If Michael's were to cause a shock and beat at the very least they they could avoid a relegation drop-off, a relegation play, playoff, excuse me, and you know that would be a good return on your first year up. It's so tight, in with the twelve teams involved, that any kind of uh, drop-off in form or any failure to get over the line, um, and you know you're instead of staring at a potential knockout place, you're looking at relegation. That's the tightness of the whole, the whole structure. Um, but I, I have, having seen Michael's and and just the, the joy you know the pure joy of when they finally won the senior A last year and what that meant to that club and what they've been building towards and having fallen at the final hurdle for so many years it would be fantastic if they could stay up because I think they've got a young enough core that they can build on it but we'll have to wait and see um, as I said that that final game you would imagine the barrels will prove too strong for Douglas but Michael's really with a fighting chance against Mallow and again, a Mallow team, let's remember if they win they'll be through to knockout stages as well a team that we haven't really spoken about much but yeah, based on current form, the bars are certainly looking menacing and as I said, Paul O'Keefe with the with the amount of weapons he's got at his disposal they'll be really eager to, um, to get back to another county final
1: Yeah, and the only other team um, officially now that has uh, a clean record is the reigning champions, Nemo Rangers they've just defeated their rogue. 11 points to 1-6 it has ended there so they're uh, 2 wins from 2 as well in group B and uh, that sets up now Airog versus versus Colleague essentially knockout before the knockout yeah.
0: And that's good too because they're two teams that are pretty evenly matched from what I've seen and certainly from their league records this year as well. You would expect Nemo to beat Carigaline definitely and go through on maximum points and you know that's that's important for them too. They need to build momentum heading into it and obviously you want to get as, be, as best a seeding as you possibly can in the knockout stages so there's something for Nemo to, to play for there. But that Airog-Balancolid game should be tasty and um, if there hasn't been much between them down through, down through the years and Airog, much like Michael's coming up to the senior grade you want to stay up there they now have a chance, um, albeit after losing today, if they can overcome Ballon they can go into the knockout stages. And look, uh, that, that that club have got, uh, much like Michael's, their underage structure has been very, very good to them in recent years. And staying in the Premier Senior, this is the thing, Aidan, for the teams that aren't going to win it, um, staying in the Premier Senior is so important because you need those young players to experience the top tier in club football. And uh, it's interesting that final score that you just put in there. Now, again, that's a tight score. I would have expected Nemo maybe to win by more. Maybe, just maybe, uh, the second round of games, the tension and the tenseness that I saw today that I didn't expect from two teams, you know, who had already, you know, hadn't lost in their opening round games. Maybe it's getting to players. Maybe this is the whole idea of the group structure, that the likes of Nemo and the Barons are probably the only two clubs in this particular uh, competition that have got a panel of about 25 players you know a really deep panel of 25 players other clubs have got players that they can spring from the bench but maybe not 7 or 8 players like the Bars and Nemo, uh, Nemo have and it's showing in their results but for everybody else there's something to play for going into the final round of games uh, and for Airog and Colleague it's pretty much a shootout you now to see who goes through and uh, again that will hopefully draw a big crowd and should be a good game
1: Yeah Sunday 10th of September all the games are going to throw in at 4 o'clock at the same time similar to the hurling the week before Um, Just to finish up then, obviously you mentioned today, look, six points apiece. It wasn't great. As we do go into the knockout stages of the football championship, do you expect teams to throw off the shackles? Obviously, I suppose knockout football, you know, knockout football is knockout football. You always expect it to be that bit more cut and thrust. The crowd might get into it a bit more. You know, there wasn't that jeopardy there today, I suppose, of a team being knocked out. Um, So do you expect maybe the more negative games to evolve into something a bit more exciting as we do go into the knockout stages?
0: God love you, Aidan. You're trying your best to (laughs) it up, uh, but unfortunately, the answer is no. Um, I suppose the one thing is when it comes to knockout stages, most, if not all, the games will be played in Parky Creeve where they can be played. Now, that changes things because it's such a wide open pitch that... You know, on a tight pitch like in this scheme today, it was easy, you know, with numbers behind the ball because it's that, just that bit tighter to, to shore up the space when forwards are trying to come through. At Parky Cueve, it's not as easy. So it does favour the teams that attack a bit more. There's a reason why the Barrows, Castlehaven and Nemo have kept coming back year after year because once they get to Parky Cueve, it suits the style of play that they've got and the forwards that they've got. There's more space to be found in those wide open areas. I guess I would hope. I would really hope that once you get out of the group stages and into the knockout stages you could throw the shackles off and have a go because to me, as a supporter, not as a reporter, but as a supporter paying in today, what is the point of putting fifteen going the ball and trying to edge a game? Why not just have a go? Why not push further? more players forward and give yourself a better chance of scoring, that's just from a supporter's point of view from a reporter's point of view, I get it, I understand what the modus operandi is yeah. for, for, for managers and from a manager's point of view, they ain't here to entertain unfortunately, and much like the intercounty scene at the moment, it's only the Kerries and the Dublin's that have the kind of galaxy of stars that can make a tight game and Derry too to be fair this year that can make a tight game entertaining because they got playmakers everywhere, clubs in Cork just don't have that luxury and you have to you know, you have to build with what you, raw material you've got. It's disappointing to think that we won't have, you know, a, a, a probably an out and no, out no shootout possibly until the semi-finals when the likes of Nemo and the Bars and whoever else gets there. But as a championship this year, it has yet to ignite. That's the that's the honest truth, the Premier Senior Championship and the Senior Air Football Championship as well.
1: Just one last thing then. You mentioned is probably the Bars, Nemo Rangers and Castlehaven, I suppose, are the big three is there any other team outside of those three teams that you see really making a challenge and, as you said, maybe throwing those shackles off as they get into Parky Cueve?
0: Well, I've seen a lot of them this year, but Carby Rangers and Kilty, I think if either of those clubs got into the knockout stages, the boost that they would get, remember it's only a couple of years since Clannan reached the county final, they've got a young core, and I think they are the kind of team that if they do throw the shackles off like they did against Valley Overs in the opening round, they kick 20 points. Yeah. Um, Carby Rangers, as well, under Seamus Hayes, are very, very hard to beat. And they've got the likes of Dara Hayes, Kieran Santry, and they had the evergreen John Hayes. I have to mention John Hayes today, Hayden, just finally, because he came off the bench. Um, I think it's the 21st, or 22nd consecutive championship for him, the former Cork senior footballer. And he had a brief cameo right at the end where Mark White, the Clonacilty goalkeeper, came out of his goal, like he did a lot during the day, was about to shoot. And got his shot away that might have been the winning score, where John Hayes executed a full length block to stop him, just showing, you know, that, you know, you can't beat experience. And know he'll hate me for calling him experience, but you just can't beat it. I guess from what I've seen, I haven't seen enough Varroga Valencolic to suggest that they could rattle a few cages and knock those stages, and I don't know if Douglas or Mallow are ready for that just yet. So probably whoever comes out, if Castlehaven get through, whoever comes out alongside them, Carby Rangers or of Hilty, just keep an eye on them because they're the kind of team that are set up if they don't go defensive they can go total 12 teams they might be an no player.
1: excellent stuff hopefully we will get uh, a bit <laughs> of uh, some, something might ignite in, in this final round of group games in the uh, Bonskuers Premier Senior Football Championship Gerard McCarthy from Meniskeen thanks a million cheers man yeah John McCarthy in in his game I should have said there and uh, by the way if you go to the Big Red Bench Twitter account I've just retweeted a fantastic photo by David Ribeiro of that block that Joe was talking about there John Hayes is a fantastic block that has uh, probably saved a point for uh, Carberry Rangers in that match All right, we're going to go for a quick break when we come back we're going to have King Callum Walsh on uh, the possibility of a homecoming fight next year here in Cork don't go away
5: Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's
1: Red FM. You're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench here in Cork's Red FM. It's Aidan Lee here with you until 7 o'clock. It's still 2-1 to West Ham at the London Stadium. 92 minutes gone, 6 added on there, 4 to go. West Ham should have made it three one. Um, it was uh, Fornells with a great chance, good save by the uh, by the goalie it's Sanchez, isn't it? In goals for for Chelsea these days. Um, all right. Last night we heard from the legend Freddie Roach. Uh, spoke to him about Cork boxer Callum Walsh. And tonight we're going to hear from the man himself, King Callum Walsh. You can watch Callum defend his WBC Silver Super Welterweight title against Juan Jose Velasco on Saturday, August twenty sixth. It's exclusively. On UFC Fight Pass, I caught up with him during the week to talk about the fight and what the future has in store. All right, uh, I'd like to be joined now on the big red bench by Cork's rising star in the boxing world, Callum Walsh. Callum, uh, how are you? You're back in
6: uh, Los Angeles, are you? Yeah, I'm back out here in LA. I'm 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 just finishing up my training camp here now for the for the fight next week, so I'm looking forward to it. What's the schedule
1: like at the moment then in the build-up to such a big fight?
6: Um, right now, I'm just doing my last week of sparring. So I'll spar tomorrow, and I'll spar Friday. And you know, I might I might do one more sparring session on Monday, depending on how I feel, and uh, then I'll, I'll be ready to fight. Then, yeah.
1: Have you done anything differently in the build up to this one than the previous fights you've had?
6: Uh, I've done a bit more running, right, for this for this camp. You know, I usually I don't really like running to be honest, but <laughs> i done. Uh, I've been hitting the hills a bit more now for this one. And uh, I'm feeling the benefit. The legs are even expanding, so I'm feeling good. Is there a particular reason in that that you have decided to do that this time? I just said, you know, i might as well to see, just see what it's like. And I just got a, I just got a new car as well. So I, I just bought a truck over here. So I wanted to take it up into the into the hills and see what it was like.
1: <laughs> What's life like in America? I suppose obviously training takes up a lot of your time, but when you aren't in the gym, like you said, you might be out running the hills. I imagine you're not short on things to do anyway. Do you go to like do you go to sporting events around
6: LA? Uh, to be honest, like usually when I'm here, I'm just training. I'm just flat out, you know, training, and uh, I don't really do much. And then once I fight, right, I come home. But. uh this time now, after my fight, I'm going to hang around here. I'm going to, I'm going to stay out here because I'm going to fight again in uh, November out in Madison Square Garden in New York. So I'm not going to bother going home after this fight. I'm just going to stay and train and whatever and get ready for the for the New York fight. But I'm going to have probably two weeks in between where I won't be doing anything. So I'll have to definitely go around LA and see what there is to do. Do a bit of sightseeing. I've been here nearly three years and uh, I'd say I'll do a bit of sightseeing now.
1: <laughs> Obviously I suppose you'll be you'll be focused on your upcoming fight, but uh, Madison Square garden you must be really excited about that in the horizon
6: oh yeah definitely you know, i'm I'm looking forward to getting this fight out of the way and then uh building the hype for for new york you know I, I feel like there will be a lot of people traveling for that, even from back home you know I'm November tenth out in New York like in Madison Square Garden, the place where everybody wants to fight you know the fact that I'll be headlining a show out there is like is something that I've always wanted to do, you know, since I turned pro. That's where everybody wants to fight, and the amount of Irish people that will be out there, it'll definitely be be a good night.
1: You're trained by the legend, Freddie Roach. Um, I've heard you talk about how he changed your style from an amateur style to a pro style. Talk to us a bit about that, and what you meant by that.
6: Yeah, so, you know, obviously I come from a big, big amateur background. I had 120 fights back home, won six Irish titles, a European gold medal. And you know that, there, there is two different styles, you know. Like amateur style, you're you're used to three rounds, you know. You just you're just fighting three rounds at a very fast pace. You're throwing as many punches as you can, you know, nearly in, in the in the in the time you have. But for the for a pro, you know, you can fight up to twelve rounds right now. I'm fighting ten rounds, um. So you you have to learn to to slow the pace down, you know, control, like like reserve your energy in just in case you have to go ten rounds, you know. And especially there's a big difference too in the in the punches and stuff and there's little tricks you know that the pros do you know they'll hit you in the hips to to make your legs tired and and stuff like that and you know it took it took probably a year and a half for me to to figure out the the pro style and obviously i've been there another year now so i've been there about two and a half years so working with Freddie is definitely um definitely helped me to take on that that pro style but if I have to, you know, I can go back to my just style. Uh, that's that's the beauty of it. Like you now I have two different styles that I can that I can use.
1: Would it be over simplistic to say that it's, I suppose more about hurting your opponent rather than, than just scoring points?
6: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Pro boxing is all about hurting your opponent, you know, and trying to get the trying to get the job done uh, as quick as you can.
1: Um talk to me about, about Cove and growing up. Did you play other sports outside of boxing?
6: Yeah, I played a bit of Hurling right when I was young. Um till I was about fifteen I'd say and then I, I had to stop. Where'd you play? I played uh, midfield. You know, I was I was actually I was I was a good I was a good hurler to be fair. You know, I still am. You know, I post the odd video there of me playing. I have two hurlies over here as well with me. So I go out there to the American football, pitch there the odd time, you know, and and uh, poke a few points. But uh, now, I was I was good enough, you know, and uh, I loved it. That's the thing, like I love hurling. You know, I would love even going back home, to know, and watching the boys play and stuff. I think, I I'd love to just get in there, you know, because it's so physical and and the pace and stuff. You know, I'd love to just get in there and just hit a fellow a few shoulders or whatever. You know, there's it's some boys to be fair, and uh, but you just can't do it, you know, when you're when you're when you're doing another professional sport. Even out here I was, out here I was playing Gaelic football with the LA Cougars. You know, it's so a bunch of Irish boys. They have like a league and I was playing with them for a while but uh, yeah Freddie and stuff uh, said so I had to call that off just in case I got injured you know really.
1: uh, I imagine as well probably the team element to it you know compared to boxing when you're you you're in the ring on your own it could be uh, isolating I suppose at times I imagine that team element to GA was probably a big draw as well
6: yeah definitely even out here you know when I was playing it was just a good laugh Like, and the fact like It wasn't as serious, you know. Obviously, boxing, I'm a pro, like, and it's very serious, but whereas I was just playing a bit of Gaelic football over the boys, and they would just have a match and it would just be a laugh, and they'd go across the road and just have a few points after, you know.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, You want to fight in Cork, you've stated that many times. Do you have a timeline of when that might be achieved at some stage?
6: So, after after Madison Square Garden in November, I think we're definitely going to have to plan the homecoming fight. You know, it's going, to, it's going to be next year. And there's, without a doubt, you know, I'm pushing. I'm pushing for it. Like, I'm telling everybody, like, we have to get there next year. You know, I'm after building such a fan base now and um, building a, such a name for myself that, it w- especially after New York, especially after these two more fights you now, you know, the hype will be a bit bigger. And so I, I, I feel like after New York, we're going to have to schedule it maybe for... See, the thing is about back home... Uh, It'll have to be summer, you know, because you want the weather to be good and, and all that, especially if you're going to do an outdoor venue. Whereas I'm not sure what we're going to do, but I, I'd say it'll definitely summer, summer next year. Parky Quive, Musgrave Park, you know, know, any of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But, yeah, if any of them are listening, uh, get in contact, and we'll try and figure something out.
1: <laughs> you had a taste of what that adulation might feel like on a recent holiday, did you? You you, you were uh, out oh, with a group of lads from Cork.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was actually I was in Portugal, and just a bunch of lads from Cork. Yeah, just came up and grabbed me, and and I'd say there was about there was about twenty or thirty of us, and it felt like ten thousand people. You know, so I can only imagine what it'd be like when we do fill a fill an arena back home
1: Dana White, he'd enjoy a night out in Cork City, surely?
6: Oh, I'd say he would, yeah. yeah. If he brings, he brings the whole head over with him, yeah, yeah. We'll have a good, <laughs> we'll have a good night.
1: Um, August 26th is next up uh, Juan Jose Velasco. Is this a fight that'll take you out of your comfort zone, do you think?
6: Uh, hopefully, you know. Nobody, nobody has uh, has done anything to me yet, really. So I hope he can. I hope he can do something. And if not, sure how bad. I'll enjoy that as well. know if he can't, but if he can, yeah. You know, because I I look forward to a fight as well. You know what I mean? I look forward to to seeing where I'm at and you know showing people that I'm not just able to just go in and like when there's a bit of adversity. You know, I can overcome it, and I want to show people that too. But if it's an easy fight, it's an easy fight, you know, happy days. I'll just get paid and I'll just go home and I'll, I'll train again. You know, I'll just get back in the gym and just start training.
1: You're you're confident of handling being outside your comfort zone though. I, I from, from what I from what I sense.
6: Yeah, definitely, you know, sure from the sparring that I have here in the wildcard, you know, I'm sparring with top level fighters and sparring with world champions, you know, I'm sparring with the best. And obviously they're not easy spares, so I'm I'm used to it. So but I'd be looking forward to showing people in a fight, you know, that I can do it, you know, if I have to.
1: Excellent stuff. Well, Callum, we wish you the very best of luck from all of us here in the Big Red Bench, Corks are the family, I think, as well, from the county. I speak for everyone, that uh, We wish you the very best of luck. And thanks a million for joining us on the Big Red Bench. Yeah,
6: definitely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, best of luck
1: to Callum, Saturday August 26th against Juan Jose Velasco and uh, hopefully we'll hear from him again in the build-up to that fight at Madison Square Garden. It's all over between West Ham, United and Chelsea and it did end 3-1 to West Ham at the London Stadium. Lucas Paquita slotted home a penalty in the 95th minute to uh, seal the three points for David Moyes' men. Alright, let's hear now from Tom Savage of the Three Red Kings about Ireland's win last night against England at Lansdowne Road. All right, delighted to say now I am joined on the line by Tom Savage of the Three Red Kings. Tom, uh, thanks a minute for joining us on the Big Red bench, first of all. Pleasure to be here. Yesterday, 29-10 win for Ireland at the Viva Stadium against England, the final home warm-up game before the World Cup. What does yesterday tell us about the shape Ireland are in, or does it say maybe more about the shape that England are in heading into this World Cup?
5: Well, I, I, I don't think you can separate the two and and judge the game fairly. I, I think Ireland are in pretty good shape. Um, a lot of what Ireland were doing yesterday looked really good. Some of it was pretty rusty. I mean, you would expect that it is a pre-season friendly, although it's certainly not priced that way uh, in the stadium. Stadium. Yeah. But uh, I don't think you can look at England's performance. And I, I think, honestly, Ireland should have won by 40 points. And I think that they'll be a little bit disconcerted that they didn't. But I think uh, England's performance was dreadful, uh, as bad as I've seen from them. And uh, they, Ireland will certainly take that into account as they judge this game and head into uh, their 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 set of away games now, which every every game now will be in France. And uh, this Irish team, you know, mostly based on Leinster players, has has played the last. I'd say half of this season in the Viva Stadium, so going away from home is going to be a, a test regardless. Um but yeah, no, I think Ireland will be happy enough with the result of that of that of that uh that warm up game. There's I I'd say you, you would prefer to be in Ireland's shoes than England's one hundred times out of hundred. Yeah, just a just a to touch
1: in England before we get to Ireland, uh, Peter O'Reilly Peter O'Reilly and the Sunday Independent said their uh, game plan was stone age stuff. Um own Farland and uh and Apola are possibly going to be missing depending on what happens with their disciplinary actions, like another red right card for England, they're in dire straits
5: no, they really are, um, I, I think you know, Stone Age rugby is is, is is a fairly, I would say accurate assessment of, of where they are there are a couple of things England do quite well, they do kick the ball well and, and that that is important in the modern game and they have a good uh, defensive line out, but they have no way to turn those two good things into an overarching system that will win them rugby games at the highest level. Um, they're in big trouble. I, I look at their at their team. I look at their pack. There's no real superstars there. Uh, a lot of the guys who were there long ago, Maroataje, you know, he's a he's still a great player, but he just doesn't have the firepower around them. I look at Billy Vunipola. I think England might be half hoping this guy is suspended for the World Cup. 'Cause he was he was awful yesterday. You, you look at the the way he was performing, he looked like a, another prop out there who didn't scrum and didn't hit rocks and wasn't winning any game lines. So I think looking at England and, and Steve Borswick in particular, like they're helped by the fact that they're on the soft side of the draw, where a lot of teams who are deeply flawed are all on that side of the World Cup draw. So England could end up, you know, making their way to a quarter final. Do you know? I, I mean yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, But the way that they're playing this year so far is dreadful. They kick the ball more than anybody else. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. But it seems that they don't have any idea what to do once they've done that. Like, you would expect a team who kicks the ball, like Ireland kicked the ball, just slightly less than England. England kicked the ball on average 31 times per game. Ireland kicked the ball on average 28 times per game. So this is not, like, there's not a mad difference there. Yeah. But Ireland's kicking is based on generating an entire style of play, like as in Ireland will play you on transition. So they're kicking the ball to get it back. England kicked the ball and it's like once it's gone, they're just waiting for a penalty. And I just think that they're in a, in a, in a really bad uh, place at the moment with regards to their play style. And there's no easy way out of it because it's not about selection, about bringing in this guy or that guy. I think the entire system is is just so far away from where it needs to be.
1: Turning back to Ireland,
5: then um, Ross Rossburn played a ten
1: for the whole game. Disappointing not to see Jack Crowley get get a run out. Uh, what were your thoughts on his performance? And did he do himself favor? Did he do himself a favor? Was he was he good enough to maybe cement his position uh, as a backup ten to Sexton if he's fit to play the World Cup?
5: Um, I think with Rossburn, like. His main stock and trade over the last couple of years has been that he's a pretty good replacement for Johnny Sexton at Leinster whenever Sexton is unavailable for big games or for those kind of middling games that Sexton doesn't play in. I think looking at, at Ross Byrne, he's got a lot of the same qualities that Johnny Sexton does, but he isn't the same level of player. I think that's fair enough to say uh, without anybody getting too insulted on, on Ross's behalf. I think this game... Um, he needed to show a little bit more for me. Like like I mentioned there earlier, Ireland's game is based a lot on kicking. Like tw- an average of 28 kicks per game, most of that kicking is done off 10. Like you look at your 10 then has to be kicking quite accurately. I thought Ross's kicking in this game was not great. It was just a little bit too short or a little bit too long. Uh, and I think that that put Ireland under pressure that against a better team who were able to attack better off those kick returns, could have really hurt Ireland. And I think a lot of the the, the the lack of momentum that Ireland had came from one of the key, I'd say, areas where Ross Burns' game falls down, which is that he is not very athletic. He's not very quick. He's not explosive. He's not a carrying threat himself. So he relies a lot on his passing. You know, his passing is quite good. But his his own movement means that against like elite-level defences, and England are not an elite-level defence, you will find, Ross Byrne, that everything just gets a little bit constricted, that, that you find yourself constantly running into trouble. And, and his forwards, I think, really bailed him out here because the passing from the likes of Prendergast, Byrne, um, van der Fleer, Peter O'Man, was outstanding all the way through. Um, but I think with Ross Byrne, his issue is that he doesn't need to play incredibly well to keep his spot. I think he's so like Sexton in that he gives you a lot of the same qualities that the Irish system can kind of run on autopilot around him. The big issue for for Ross, I would say, is that he needs to start uh, pulling his kicking back around. His big selling point over the last couple of years was he was an incredibly accurate goal kicker. In the last couple of months, that has come way back, and he was his his goal kicking in this game was very very poor. I think looking at him, like you know, he had like like I said, some re- some really good moments, like the the passes he gave into space. He's always been capable of stepping. And slinging those long passes into space, he's always been good at that. So if, if they open up for him, he can hit that pass. But I think that Farrell, is he likes the fact that Ireland can run almost identically with Ross Byrne at 10 uh, instead of Sexton for most things. But I don't think he's the same level of player, not even close. I think that Crowley... Um, was unlucky, he, he came on playing at 12, which again showed his versatility I, I, I don't see any scenario that if Jack Crowley is fit, he goes to the World Cup for me um, I think he's a much better player than Ross Barn. I think he's got a much higher ceiling, um, but I think he found himself a little bit unlucky here to be playing in midfield um, he, can, he can play there, but with the role that Ireland use their midfielder, it's a tough place to be for a fella who's a 10 realistically so um, I, I think that Ross will still be ahead just because he he doesn't need to have a fantastic game to keep his spot. Um, but Johnny Sexton is the guy they'll want to get back fit. You know they yeah. will not want to go into those games against Scotland and South Africa with anybody else other than Johnny. Do
1: you expect Crowley then to play a ten against Samoa next Saturday?
5: I think looking at how they they ran this game, I wouldn't be surprised to see Crowley get that uh, get that game against Samoa. I think looking at how he played against Italy. I think that there was lots to like there and they'll want to give him that shot to come back in and, and maybe put Ross Byrne on the bench because realistically, if Johnny Sexton is fit for the World Cup, if he comes back and he's, he's playing, if they're going to go with Ross Byrne, Ross will be coming off the bench. So he'll need to show that he can come on and maybe continue what's going on there. Um, so Ireland should be beating Samoa, but I, I think looking at, at uh, Crowley, I would expect him to get uh, time at 10 this week. Um, but again, I, I don't think the minutes at twelve this week hurt him either, because at least he showed some game out. He play there, and, he, and he, he'll make that. Um, he'll make that happen.
1: What a night for Keith Orles. A try on his 100 cap against England as well, in front of that kind of slightly bit of a carnival atmosphere, I suppose, with the fact that there, you know, it's the send off for the World Cup. But like, what a man! I think he's he has to be probably the most beloved uh, rugby player in the country. You know, every, province,
5: every province has a liking to. him. Ah, uh, Yeah, look, I, I think Keith Earls is just so respected all around the country from a rugby perspective. Um, he's such a a, a a big character himself, as in that he's so well-liked on a personal level, but then he's got the goods on the rugby pitch as well, which is always the other side of it. He's got both, and I think that outside of rugby even, what Keith Earls did when he was speaking about um his own mental health. Uh, I think it was last year or the year before. Um, that was so inspirational. That was so brave of him to come out and do that as an active player still. Like he's still playing. Yeah. To come out and, and to be that frank with his own mental health, I think was so inspirational. It helped so many people. I think to show that this guy who people would have seen on the rugby field, it, whether they were big rugby fans or not, they would have heard of him, and and to to see him come out and be so forthright about his, his uh, mental health I think was just really really inspirational and it just adds to the, the legend of this guy who's been playing for nearly 16 years now he's got 100 caps he scored his 100 professional try for yeah. Munster in Ireland on the same day um, he's a legend is Keith Earls and I think that as you said there he is one of the most beloved rugby players I think we've ever had in this country and uh, you know to see him get that moment was really special because we don't always see those and to see him get that was really really special and it's not just that as well. Like He's the best finisher in the team. Oh, I would agree. Like, I think Mack Hansen is fantastic. Yeah. I think that James Lowe is really, really good as well. But if you look at what Keith Earls can still do at 35 years of age, now remember, the back three, and, and for wingers in particular, that is a young man's game. Yeah. But there's that saying that you better beware for the old man and the young man's game, and that's Keith Earls. The reason why he's still involved at test level is because he has that burst of pace is still there, that strength in contact is still there, and that athleticism to make those finishes is still there as well. Like That, like that finish he had in this game, like that's no joke. Like, yeah. That is not something that he just did just for the crack because it was a, a special try in a special game. Like That was the only way to score that try, and he's still able to do it at 35 years of age that is fantastic and that is outstanding and it just shows what a level of player he is. And like I said, it's not just about being a good character, it's about can you produce in the field and he can still produce in the field. I, for me, it, it was still touch and go as to whether he would actually make the World Cup or not. Um, given the, the 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 breakdown of the backs and forwards will they take 18 ba- or forwards, 19 forwards, but I think that Keith Earls is still a guy who you would bring to the World Cup because of the experience, but also he can pop up with big moments just like that. And I don't think he's anywhere near finished yet.
1: Absolutely. And uh, thankfully, the TMO fell asleep at the wheel and just allowed that blatantly forward pass to stand for the try and didn't rob us of, of that fantastic moment. Uh, looking elsewhere at, uh, I suppose, our opponents, South Africa, New Ireland, Will Face, they hammered Wales. Are you worried about, are you worried looking at the, the form of some of the Southern Hemisphere teams? Obviously, they're all kind of going well bar Australia, really, aren't they?
5: yeah look I, I think australia will be dangerous on their side of the draw uh, I, I think new zealand are certainly going very well um i think they're still untested though um I, i'm not fully sold on the all blacks yet because i saw debated ireland should have beat them 3-0 last year in new zealand yeah uh, in that series um i'm not sure if they fully pushed on from there yet um but looking at South Africa, they were very, very imposing against Wales in the Millennium Stadium or the Principality Stadium now, I think it's called. Um, they're just so physical. And I look at their front five from that game, their second row in particular, and all their second row, Jean Klein and RG Sneiman, um, very imposing. Um, and I think that the depth they have in their forwards will carry them through any uncertainty that they have at halfback. I would say that you know Manny Libach is, for me, a flawed player at 10. Um, But I think that he is helping them to play a game that is less now about kicking. Like we spoke earlier about the number of kicks per game. Ireland and England kick way more per game than South Africa this year. So that'll give you an idea to how South Africa are are trying to change their game to be a more possession-based team. And they have the size and the power to to play that way. It's the halfbacks. Do they have those halfbacks? I think Manny Libock gives them that age to play that way. But I think he is quite a flawed player himself. That's a big area of concern for them, especially when it comes down to a high-pressure game. Wales were, were very, very poor in, in, in this one. But I think looking at South Africa, they are in a really good spot at the moment, and that is going to be a titanic clash uh, in, that, uh, in that group uh, against Ireland. And it's, it's coming around the bend very, very quickly.
1: Absolutely, that's it. Ninth uh, to September is is the first uh, game of the World Cup. Even though those two first games almost they do feel like uh, warm up matches still against uh, it was Romania and uh, one Tonga,
5: is it? I believe uh, it, is, yeah. it is, and I, I think yeah. Ireland themselves are looking at those as being kind of half warm up games as well. But they'll never say that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> fast
1: approaching, like we said, Tom Savage, great stuff. Thanks, a minute for joining us on the bigger bench. Thank you very much. Yeah, great stuff there from Tom. Ahead of representing Ireland at the upcoming SKIF World Karate Championships, Crookstown Traditional and Shotokan Karate Club members Denise Lehan and Ashling O'Donovan joined John McCarthy on the big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast.
2: Now on Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench, we are absolutely delighted to be joined by two members of the Ireland SKIF Karate Squad heading to the World Karate Championships, which are taking place in Hungary between August 25th and 27th. They're two members of the traditional Shotokan Karate Club from Crookstone, Denise Lehan and Ashling O'Donovan. Denise, you're very welcome to the Big Red Bench. How are you?
7: Thanks
2: very much. I'm very good. Good stuff. And Ashling, how are you getting on? I'm great, thank
7: you, Gerald. Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, it's brilliant. uh, Thank you for taking the time out to speak to us. We know know, you're in the the final kind of uh, the last furlong before you head off to Hungary, so there's a lot of preparation going on. I should point out that both of you are first Dan Black belts, so I think that's congratulations on that. That's an achievement in itself. Denise, if I just come to you first, this will be your first time competing uh, at a world championships at an international level. You must be very excited and looking forward to it. Oh, yeah, it's
7: going to be a big thing for me, yeah.
2: Um, does it help having other club members with you heading out there?
7: Yeah, like um, I think all of them have competed internationally before so they're a little bit more experienced than that way so they've kind of helped me with the nerves and that kind of stuff, so yeah.
2: Well, it's only natural that you'd have nerves but you are involved, as I mentioned, both of you are involved with the traditional Shotokan Karate Club in Crookstone. How long are you uh, involved in karate? What, What age did you start?
7: Um, I suppose I started when I was about seven or eight, so 10 years now-ish. So yeah, I started because my brother and my dad were doing it, and I just wanted to be involved. And I did a ton of sports growing up, and it was just kind of the one that really stuck with me, and I kept it up until now, so yeah.
2: And what is it about karate, Denise, that, that you have stuck with it? Is it just like you keep fit? I mean, it obviously helps to you, you know, it's obviously self-defense as well, obviously, but I mean, it keeps you fit, but there seems to be a nice community spirit around this particular club.
7: Oh yeah, definitely. I'd say it helps that, you know, we're all friends and we all get along in the club. Um, and yeah, also, of course, like the fitness side of it and um, stuff like that. Um
2: Ashling, this is not your first time competing at international level because you've told me you've competed at the 2019 World Championships in the Czech Republic and the 2022 World Championships in Holland. You were also a 1st stand black belt. How much are you looking forward uh, to heading to Hungary with this team?
7: I'm I'm buzzing for this one because I went when I was uh, about 13 in 2019 and that was an amazing achievement, but it wasn't like very serious for me because I wasn't like, to the level I am now. And, like, last year was great, but it just didn't go the way I wanted it to. So this year, like, I've put in the time and the effort and I'm buzzing because I'm really hoping that this one's going to be the one for me. Okay,
2: for people who don't know about what actually happens at a World Karate Championships, I have a fairly good idea, a rudimentary idea, but for people who don't know, when you land over in Hungary and when you check into the hotel and all that, what actually happens during those days of competition?
7: So we normally fly out because it's always the same format of, like, Friday the juniors compete in the masters, which are like over 40. And then Saturday is like everyone else. And then Sunday is when they have the big finals and the team events. So we fly out normally on a Wednesday, and then we have a rest day. We try to get there as early as we can. So we're getting used to it. We're sleeping, all that. And then Thursday, each country has a designated time to do a bit of stretching and training on the mats. So you also get used to like the atmosphere of the actual arena. And then Friday is when the competition starts.
2: And when you say competition, Ashling, what is it? Are you one one on one against another opponent? Is it is it full contact, or how does it work?
7: Yeah, so it depends on because we have two coaches. We have a coach for kata, which is like a series, like a pattern of movements, and then we have a coach who is my dad for Komise, which is fighting. So each competition, like every country, runs it slightly different, but it's normally the same format of you get there and you're called out for your CASA, which is your pattern of movement. So you go out against another person, one person is white and one person is red, and there's a a head coach and they say uh, Yen Shodan, which is uh, one of the CASAs, and then you both do the same series of movements and then at the end there's five judges and they pick either red or white for the best person and then you progress on. Um, so that's casting, and when you get to finals, you get to pick your favourite casting, and then it's scored by numbers and then the winner is the winner. Um, but for commentary, it's slightly different and that always comes after because it's the physical fighting aspect. So obviously you don't want to be having that before the casting, getting injured and all that. So it's kind of keep injuries. All
1: right, in. we're going to leave that there. We're running out of time if you want to hear that chat in full head on over to the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. You can get it on redfm.e or wherever you get your podcast. Best of luck to Denise and Ashling at the Karate World Championships. That's it for me. We're out of time. Thank you for tuning in across the weekend to the Big Red Bench. We'll be back next weekend, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Mags is next with Green on Red.
5: The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.